in the middle of this series, as I mentioned earlier, that I've simply kind of titled Nothing Ordinary. And, and really it's a short picture, okay, just a short picture in a really simple way of how God uses everyday, flawed, messed up people to turn the world upside down. And it's kind of an important look because if you're anything like me, there are times in your life or maybe you're in the middle of one of those times in your life where your faith seems anything but extraordinary. It, it feels like it's less than amazing. And if the people around you or if God really knew how afraid or how faithless or how scared you really were, I mean, could you really be used like that? And you look at people like Peter and James and John and Matthew in the Bible, right? You look at the people around you like Billy Graham and Mother Teresa and you're thinking, that will never be me. You even look at people in this room at the time and you go, how, am I the only one that feels absolutely inadequate? The truth is, is that, that every one of those people is messed up and broken and flawed. And we've been examining them in scripture, looking at how God has taken their broken, ordinary lives and used them for an extraordinary purpose. And I've heard probably a dozen sermons in my life on, on how God uses it, uh, ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And while that's certainly true, I think there's, there's something much bigger at play. And it's not just that God does extraordinary things. I mean, everything that God does is absolutely extraordinary. But the, when the Holy Spirit moves in the life of an ordinary, flawed, messed up person, that thing itself is out of the ordinary. That that person becomes nothing ordinary when they're used by an unbelievable, amazing God to reflect his glory and his love in the world. And that picture is what turns the world upside down. And so over the next two weeks, just a four short week series, we're going to be looking at people both in scripture and in our world um, that are being used by God to live lives where there is nothing ordinary. The true call is that I believe that God will use you and I believe he will use me in the same capacity. So this morning we're going to be in the book of Luke chapter 5. We've actually spent a lot of time in the book of Luke, but it just happens to be a really good book. So, you know, find it in your, uh, in your Bibles right there with you if you've got it. If not, I think the text is printed on the back of your bulletin. So you can roll that over and it's right there. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5 this morning. This morning we're going to take a, a look at, at the calling of one of the disciples. And we're going to take a look at a guy by the name of Robert. Uh, who lives in our world today, and we're going to be looking at how God has called both of them to live in a really unconventional way, in a way that defies all worldly wisdom and all worldly logic, and actually puts all that they know and all that they have and all that they trust in Jesus, and says, God, I will live contrary to what I think so that I can follow you. And we're going to see how God uses them to absolutely flip our paradigms upside down. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 5 this morning, starting in verse 27. And before we open God's word and get in there, let's take a moment and pray together. <clears throat> Lord, this morning as we gather in this place, I recognize um, very honestly that every single one of us brings different things into this room. Father, for some of us, this was a great week. It was awesome. It just worked out well. Our families are going well. Work's going well. Life is going well. School's going well. It just Things just seem to be working. God, for some of us, life isn't going so well. It's been hard. It's been a crummy week. It's been difficult. Relationships are are coming and going, um, Father. We, we feel faithless at times. We feel scared, Lord, and, and we bring different baggage into this room. For some of us, it's deep wounds, Father. For some of us, it's, it just seems to be a, a, a kind of a level of loving mediocrity. And Lord, I pray that you would meet each one of us right where we are this morning. God, that whatever we brought in this place, whatever kind of baggage or issues or struggles we decided to wag through these doors this morning, God, that you would, would meet us right in the middle of it and that you would deal with our hearts. 
take just a moment before we open God's word this morning and just pray in your heart that God would meet you right where you are. Just, just pray that. God, I want you to meet me right where I am this morning. Just pray that in your heart. Take just a second and pray for someone beside you. I mean, maybe you've never, ever seen them before. Maybe you're here for the first time, and, and so you don't know anybody. Just pray for somebody else. Be in the habit of praying for, for people around you. Um, pray that God would move in their hearts this morning. God, for the next moments, we turn our attention to you and you alone. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. We know that an encounter with your word is an encounter with you. God, it is, it is the truth. And God, we pray that you would penetrate our hearts even when we don't like it, even when it's hard to hear. Father, we pray that you would convict us and challenge us and equip us to be men and women that would follow Jesus into the world. Lord, challenge us to live an unconventional life this morning as we step aside from worldly wisdom and into the footsteps of Jesus. We love you and we thank you for your son. Amen. So I, I think that the calling of the disciples are really interesting stories in Scripture. Because we, you've heard me talk about this before, but, but the disciples, as we know, really aren't great people. They're kind of a mess. I mean, they're fishermen, and as we're going to see this morning, they're tax collectors. They're, they're ordinary, uneducated people who, who, from a worldly standpoint, really are unusable. I mean, the world would never put them in a category to be used to turn all of history upside down, to be able to, to be people that, that God would choose to build his church upon, to use them to impact the lives of millions upon millions upon millions of people. But that's exactly what we see in Scripture. We see ordinary, everyday people being used by God, a God that defies all of our thinking and all of our conventional wisdom, and flipping paradigms upside down. Part of the reason why we labeled Jesus a radical is because the things that he taught were so countercultural, they were so different than what makes sense on paper, that he was a radical. You know, those who are our last will be first. You know, all these things that Jesus spoke seem to defy everything that you and I would line our life up with. And this is what he does when he calls the disciples. He doesn't go to the religious leaders and he takes the ones that are going to be the most influential and say, look, you've got, you've got two degrees from this and you were trained by this guy and, and, and I want you to be the mouthpiece. I mean, you're such a great preacher, great speaker. I could put you on my team. Or you own, you know, first bank of the Jerusalem dirt mound and I want you to be a part of running our financial office. I mean, he doesn't do any of those things. He just picks people who are broken and flawed and the fact that God uses those people, I think, is extraordinary. We're going to look at the calling of, of one of the disciples named Levi, who is also Matthew. All right, so Matthew and Levi, same person. And we're going to look at Jesus calling Matthew into a life that absolutely lets go of everything and is, is unconventional in its line of thinking. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27, listen to this. After this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax collector, at his tax collector booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And then Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick, and I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Now, if you've spent any time in the Gospels, it's a fairly familiar story. I mean, Jesus is calling Matthew, he's calling Levi for the first time to come and follow him. And it's not all that different from how he calls Peter and some of the fishermen. You remember the stories of Peter calling, or of Jesus calling Peter and the fishermen when he steps by their boats and he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they drop their nets and they follow Jesus. This is not all that different. But our story tells us that Jesus is going out from where he was and he goes by this booth where a man named Levi was sitting collecting taxes. And tax collector booths on those days were literally set up on kind of main thoroughfares, highways, if you will, almost like a toll road. And, and this booth would be on the side of the road, and if you were traveling between towns, and you were carrying a sack of whatever it was you were carrying, you know, clothes or cloth or whatever you carried in those days, the tax collectors would tax you for it. Now, everybody hated tax collectors because they were thieves. I mean, they, they would really just basically steal your money. And if you came by multiple times, they'd tax you multiple times. Sometimes they would tax you and then, you know, they'd make up a tax, they'd get one for you and, you know, keep one for themselves. I mean, they had to make their living. And as long as they gave the appropriate amount to the Roman government, then a tax collector could make whatever else he wanted to on the side. So no one liked them, but they were very wealthy people. We learn a lot about tax collectors from guys like Zacchaeus. Well, here's Levi sitting in a booth on the side of the road taxing trade routes as they went by. And we know that Jesus and, and Levi have probably had a few interactions before, and I'll tell you a little bit more about this in a minute. They were in a town called Capernaum, where Jesus sort of spent a, a little bit of a home base in his early years of ministry. He would go out in the countryside from Capernaum, he would come back, and, and it really sort of served as a sort of central ministry hub. But, but Levi is out there in this tax collector booth, and he's collecting taxes, and Jesus comes by, and Scripture says that he just simply says, follow me. The same words that he basically uses for some of these fishermen follow me. And it says that at once, Levi got up and he left everything and followed him. He, he left all of it, the, the money, the, the whatever he had in that little booth. I mean, he just walked away from all of it and he followed Jesus. And then it says that he threw a banquet for Jesus and, and a large crowd of people came and, and there were a bunch of tax collectors and others, which really means other sinful people. I mean, they were, it wasn't like tax collectors and a whole bunch of really neat people. It was like tax collectors and others, which in Scripture kind of denotes this fact that they were outsiders. And it says that the Pharisees and the religious leaders went up to the disciples of Jesus. And at the time, there's probably only about five. I mean, from the, the way Scripture kind of paints this picture, Levi was the fifth of the disciples that were called. And there's probably about five of them at this point in time. And, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, go up to, to these disciples and they say, why do you, right, not just Jesus anymore, but why do you, you all, why do you all meet or eat and spend time with tax collectors and sinners? So in other words, they're basically saying, why do you have relationships with these kind of people? They're not just about sharing food, it's about sharing life. Why do you share life with tax collectors and sinners? Right? And, and, and they're asking the disciples. Well, our text ends with Jesus actually answering the question. Before the disciples can kind of get a word out of their mouth, right? Jesus steps in, he says, look, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, right? I didn't come to, to, to deliver the righteous, but I came to deliver sinners. Which is really not saying that the, uh, the tax collector, I mean that the uh, Pharisees were, were healthy or that they weren't sinners. Jesus was basically saying, look, you can't be healed until you recognize that you are sinful. And that Jesus came because all are sinners. That he came to all. But that you can't recognize your own need for salvation if you don't recognize your own need. Right? Which is, I guess, where a lot of us kind of end up. Before we really understand that we have a need for a Savior, we have to understand that we are deeply rooted in sin. 
That's what Jesus basically saying is, came, I came to deliver sinners, which is everyone. But you can't recognize your own need to be saved until you recognize your own need for salvation, your own sinfulness. And I love this picture of, of the simple calling of Levi because I think that, well, I think about my life and I think I'm a lot more like Levi than I really care to admit. And I think that kind of the way scripture plays out a lot of times for me is that I find myself kind of identifying in ways that I kind of wish I didn't with some of these folks that are being really called by Jesus. But think about this for a minute. I mean, here's Levi minding his own business. I mean, he really is just going about his life. He's sitting in his little booth, and it's probably just like a little reeded hut. He's just sitting there all day long. People come walking by with their camels and wagons and whatever they've got, and, and they got a sack of rugs on there, and Levi's like, hey, freeze, you owe me whatever for that sack of rugs. And he's, you know, they argue back and forth. They end up having to pay taxes, and Levi puts it in his pocket and pays the government. He does this every single day, right? He was going about his life, and he was doing fine. I mean, this was his booth which means he'd been given charge by the chief tax collector to have his own little franchise. So on some level, he was kind of a pretty big deal. He wasn't a huge deal, but he was a big enough deal. And he probably had a whole lot of money, and he, minded, he kind of minded his own little business, and he went about his business, and he didn't have a lot of friends, right? Because no one loved the tax collector. No one loves the tax man, right? But, but here he is collecting taxes. He's minding his own business, paying attention to his own life. And one day Jesus shows up and kind of interrupts all that, which is what Jesus seems to do in our lives all the time, isn't it? I mean, we're over here kind of minding our own business where things are going kind of well, you know, or at least they seem manageable, and Jesus shows up and kind of messes everything up a little bit. Well, Jesus shows up, he's walking by, and he looks at this tax collector named Levi, and he says, follow me. Now, I mentioned that this is probably not the first interaction that, Ma that Levi and Jesus have had. I mean, they interacted and lived in this town called Capernaum. It was where Jesus spent a lot of time. The chances are is that Levi had watched Jesus come and go on this road multiple times. He'd seen people following. He'd heard some pretty amazing stories. He'd probably even heard Jesus teach, talk, or at least things about him. This was not the very first time he'd ever seen this Jesus, but something was very different about this day. Because when Jesus went by and he said, follow me, something was, it was almost like he could not ignore this person any longer, this Jesus. And so he was being compelled to literally give it all away, walk away from all of it. So here he is minding his own business, his own life. Jesus steps in, radically interrupts that, calls him to follow me. And what does Levi do? Well, he walks away from all of it. I mean, this is amazing to me because it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, what would compel someone to leave this life? I mean, he didn't have a lot of friends, but he was wealthy. He had all that he needed. He had his own booth. He was up and coming. I mean, he was trusted by the Roman government. As we see from the banquet he's going to throw, he had a lot of friends. They were all tax collectors, but they were friends. I mean, conventional wisdom doesn't walk away from that life. But yet something in that this day caused him to not be able to ignore this voice of Jesus anymore. And, and I'm not saying that Jesus had called him before because there's no evidence for that in Scripture. But it's certainly not the first time that he'd interacted with Jesus. Or at least seen him or heard him or heard about him. But man, something on that day w was just, I just can't ignore this any longer. And so he gets up and he leaves it all, which is a common theme when it comes to following Jesus. And he follows him. 
And then, of course, what happens next? I mean, you would think a whole series of questions. If you were me, this is exactly what would happen. I would be like, okay, we're walking on the road to Jesus. you got to understand, I'm so excited about this. I mean, this is really going to be awesome. I left everything back there, but i got a few questions, all right? i got to know where we're going. I mean, I just left my job for you. Tell me where we're headed. You know, do you want me to be treasurer? I'm really good at counting coins. I mean, I've got a lot of skills I can bring to the table. I mean, I can help you, or what do you need from me, or where are we headed? And tell me the plan. Lay out the master plan for me, and we will do this thing together. You know, I, had a, uh, I did an event one time for a bunch of middle school kids. This was years ago. And, and I was talking to this kid after this, this kind of event that I was speaking at. And he came down front and he sat, with, sat down with me. And he was just talking about, you know, he, he just wanted to know more about this Jesus. And so kind of a classic question that we had talked about and, and I had talked about was, was, what would you say if, if God really, really, you, 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 had, you had died, you were standing in heaven, and, and God was saying, why should I let you in? You know, and it's kind of a classic crusade or evangelism question because it, the, the answer really is only because I know Jesus. It's not because I can do anything. And this little kid looks up at me and he says, he says, well, I would stand up real tall in front of God. I'd stand up real tall and I'd be real confident and I'd say, well, God, what I have to offer you are my services, you know. And I thought, you know, it's pretty awesome because, I, I mean, it, it's a terrible answer, but it's, 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 it's how we think. Because what we do is we want to know the plan and we want to offer God what we can kind of do to help the plan along, right? And ends up, that ends up getting kind of perverted into our own way of controlling the situation. Really the only response is, God, I got no, nothing to offer you. Well, Levi, on some level, you would think that would be his response. Jesus, okay, so I'm in. Okay, you got me. I left my booth. I left everything behind. Here's what I bring to the table. Here's what, where are we going? What are we doing? How can I get involved? Show me the plan. Show me the plan. But he doesn't do that at all, does he? You know what he does? He throws a party. He has a banquet. Now this is amazing to me because this defies all logical lines of thinking. Because if you just quit your job, you now had no steady source of income. You walked away from all of it. Conventional wisdom says grab your money and save it because you don't know what's coming. Following this Jesus is kind of radical. He takes you out of the country. He makes you leave everything. I mean, you don't know when you're going to be back. If I can put all this, at least I'll have it in case this thing doesn't totally work out. That's what makes sense. But Levi throws a party at his own expense. He has a banquet for Jesus. He celebrates. And what does he do? He invites all of his friends. And you know, I think he threw this banquet not so much because he's excited, woohoo, I lost my job, you know, this is great. I think he threw the banquet because he was liberated and he wanted the people around him that he knew to meet this Jesus. What better way to do that than throw a banquet for Jesus? Because no one's going to turn down a free meal, right? I mean, if I invite all my friends to tell them, hey, free food at my house, they're coming. And banquets were things in, in ancient history and antiquity that you did not turn down. It was incredibly rude. And we, in fact, we see some stories in Scripture about a king that has a banquet and the, the guests don't come. And so he goes out and he invites the entire, you know, the cripples and the beggars and the lame. Remember, it's, it was a rude response to not show up. So Levi, I mean, he holds a banquet and he celebrates this call to follow Jesus. I believe he celebrates that he has been liberated. And it doesn't make sense. And I think he doesn't really care about what the world says. And he doesn't really care about what he, his friends say. I mean, can you imagine trying to explain to that room of tax collectors' friends 
that are all probably about as wealthy as you are and are kind of making their way up in the ranks and, and all that, why you walked away from it all to follow this radical who wears robes and hangs out with lepers? That doesn't make any sense. How do you explain that to your parents? How do you tell mom and dad that you walked away from a job that pays $100,000 a year to follow this guy? I mean, the world does not, it does not look right. And what you would think Levi would have done is keep it on the down low for a while, right? Until he figures it out. At least gets a master plan together in his own head. I mean, that's what I would do. The sinful side of me would say, okay, Jesus, I am following you. But listen, i got to line up all the things that I think could possibly go wrong to make sure I have answers for them. Because if I'm walking away from my life, my job, my career, my money, my things, i got to know how I'm going to pay my light bill. i got to know how I'm gonna, where I'm going to stay or what I'm going to do. And I need to have some answers for that before I can fully engage what's happening and tell the world. See, our classic mindset is we have a party after it's all taken care of. Then we celebrate God's faithfulness. Right? But what Levi does is he celebrates the liberation. He celebrates Jesus. We talked about this a little bit in our, in our series when we looked at Jonah. Right? Jonah thanks God from the middle of that belly of that fish. Not after God has delivered him. But in the middle of the fish, he says, God, I thank you that you have, you have saved me and rescued me. We often don't throw God, God-sized parties in the middle of uncertainty, do we? We throw God-sized parties when God has done his work. But Levi throws a God-sized party right in the middle of all the uncertainty. Doesn't make any sense on paper. But I love it because I think that Levi lived a life where he just didn't care what everybody thought. But he wanted him to meet the God who had liberated him or Jesus who had set him free. And he lives this sort of decision, this life without regret. You kind of get that sense. Now we, we know that he goes on to be a disciple. I mean this is Matthew. This isn't some random person. I mean we know a lot about this person in scripture. He goes on to completely and totally give his entire life to Jesus. And I believe he lives without regret. You know he doesn't kind of walk away from the job and all that stuff and then get home that night and go, what did I just do? <laughs> he goes, I'm throwing a party because I'm going to celebrate this fact and I'm going to live without regret. I'm going to engage it. So here's Levi, minding his own business, going about his own life, right? He hears the voice of Jesus and he gives it all away. He throws this party, this celebration for his freedom in Christ, and he lives without regret. Now, I would give you anything in the world to be able to tell you today that that is a picture of my life. I would love to be able to stand up here as your pastor and say, man, guys, this is what I'm doing. I want you to model after my life, but that's not true. What's true is the fact that I live in the same uncertainty and fear that you do at times. That I live in the same categories of saying, Jesus, I don't know that I can fully walk away from the safety of my life and follow you until I figured a few things out. Because my heart is rooted in conventional wisdom. But see, the call to follow Jesus is a call to the unconventional life. It's a call to a life that doesn't make sense on paper all the time. It's a call to a life of trust. A call to a life that the world looks at and says, you know what, that looks silly and foolish. And it's a call to a life that celebrates the freedom in Christ 
and lives without regret. Now, I don't know what, what God is calling you to, but I believe it's something. And maybe it's not super radical. Maybe you're not supposed to leave your job and do whatever, but maybe it's something small. I have no idea. But I truly believe that if you're anything like me, you're sitting in your own booth, minding your own life, hoping upon hope that Jesus doesn't walk by. But I will tell you that the life he will call you into, and the life he is calling you into, will not only turn your world upside, upside down, but it will change the lives of the people around you. See, Levi goes on to impact the lives of those tax collectors and sinners. And he goes on to impact the history of the world as a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Now that's all well and good for scripture. But Trub, how does that really translate for me today? I want you to take a look at this video of a guy named Robert. We've been looking at videos for the past few weeks. I want you to take a look at this guy named Robert who truly, I think, follows Jesus into a radically unconventional life. When I started this clinic, I was hoping that more doctors would follow my lead and join me maybe even part-time, but no one did. And in fact, over the last eight years, it seems like I've become somewhat of a pariah or an outcast. When I used to work in the ER, I was making good living, very comfortable. We saw a number of uninsured patients, and I recognized that a lot of these patients were, were my neighbors. Some of them, literally my neighbors, people like barbers, sawmill operators, workers at convenience stores, mechanics. I had to see these people every day who I know could be treated more compassionately, more cost-effectively in another setting. I felt like basically even though I was working in the ER, I was walking around them and I was not being a neighbor to them. I kept asking myself the question, is this what a good Samaritan would do? I really sensed in my heart that God wanted me to provide medical care for these people outside of the ER. And who is I to question what God wanted to do? Uh, about eight years ago, I opened Patmos Emergency Clinic uh, to provide care for the uninsured. On average, I have about 5,000 patient visits a year. About 60% of those don't have insurance. About 25% uh, have uh, high deductible commercial insurance. So how are you feeling today? Well. Did you take your blood pressure medicine this morning at all? No. No? Okay. I took it. All right. A lot of people thought what I was doing was foolish, and they probably were right. Uh, in the eyes of the world, I think it is foolish, but God has a, a different strategy. He tends to choose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Taking care of the uninsured, that's the ultimate foolishness in healthcare today. The last eight years trying to more authentically be a follower of Christ is um, a lot of times a struggle. Struggle financially. I've foregone quite a large amount of income. The struggles of recognizing that my skills are deteriorating from the ER. But the biggest cost really would probably be with my kids because I've foregone putting money aside for their college education. My kids didn't have a choice in that. And that, that, that bothers me. 
I wonder sometimes if it's really worth it. I could work maybe a shift or two in an ER a week and do as well financially as I am now and have a lot more time off to do other things, spend time with my family. Don't know. How you doing? I've been worried about my toe. This morning, it was swelled and throbbing real bad. You weren't gonna go to the ER. The reason you weren't gonna go to the ER, I mean, that thing needs to be fixed. Expensive. Expensive. I'm being garnished for 12 years ago. Well, let's take a look at it. That's standard right there. Is it still sharp out press there, or just hurt? No, it's just in certain places. I'm gonna get you basically 20 days worth of this medicine to take twice a day. All right. Let me get you the work excuse. No. <laughs> <laughs> Joe was a guy who um, got good care who wouldn't have gotten good care. That's, that's satisfying. He would have been another invisible casualty of our healthcare system. Somebody who would have fallen through the cracks and somebody I was able to help. Take it easy now. I'll do it. All right, stay safe. It's been worth the risk, I think, because I kind of afraid of the type of person I would have become had I continued doing what I was doing, to become more hardened and callous and willingly blind. The question really is um, for you, and the question really is for me, is, is, is what is Jesus calling us to? I mean, what kind of life is he really calling us to live? What kind of life is he calling us to lead? What kind of things is he calling us to walk away from, to let go of, to turn over? And it's not just the act of saying, okay, God, I, I leave those things behind, but it's the act of saying, God, I, I leave those things behind, and I celebrate and live without regret for where you're leading me. See, most of us are fearful of, of letting go of whatever kind of security that we have, but Jesus is calling us into a life that is radically different from anything else that we could ever dream of or, or, or imagine, and is far more amazing than what you could lay your hands on. The question really becomes is that if Jesus is calling you to something, he's speaking into your heart, he's calling you to let go, to surrender, to step out, the only choice you have is to do it, and to celebrate it, and to live without regret. So don't continue to walk out these doors week in and week out and sit in your tax collector booth and close your eyes and pretend that the voice of God is not speaking to your heart. But maybe today is the day that you say, God, I surrender it all to you. Stuff, things, life, my heart, whatever it is, I give it to you, Jesus. Because you are calling me to the unconventional life. As we close our time in worship this morning, what I want to challenge you to is this. If God is calling you to let go of your heart, to truly let go of your heart, to say, I want to know you, Jesus, and experience you, to deal with that. Come down and visit with me. Let me know about that. We want to share Christ with you and let you know about the God that has turned my life upside down. Maybe God is calling you to something specific to let go of or walk away from or turn over. Don't walk out of this place this morning until you deal with that, recognize that.
Maybe it's financial, maybe it's career-driven, maybe it's a relationship, whatever it is, deal with it. But as we turn our hearts over to the Lord this morning and close our time in worship, let us not turn a deaf ear on the voice that calls us to follow Him. Let's pray.